about Jesus' baptism and the, the little dialogue and conversation that Jesus and, and John the Baptist had. And, and um, through that dialogue, we found out that Jesus sort of revealed some of his broader spec, um, plan and strategy that not only did he come to establish a new covenant and do a work that only he could do, but along with that, there was a role and a part to play for each and every one of us that, that it was necessary that John, Jesus said, it's necessary that you do this for me and that you do this with me. And he says that to each and every one of us. There's parts and pieces that he has for you to do with him that only you and him can do. Uh, that, and i got to be careful. I don't want to preach that message over again. So Mark is picking it up from that point. If you're in Mark, let's go to the first chapter. And we're just going to take two verses. Um, verses 14 and 15. We'll read them together. It says that now after John was arrested, John the Baptist is now arrested, okay? Um, the king didn't like him too much. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. This is in red letters if you're in your printed Bible at least. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, Mark picks up where John left off. John is now arrested. John's ministry is is concluding. Jesus' ministry is just, is just launching. John said it himself, that he has to increase, which means I must decrease. And that process and that handoff is, is taking place. Um, even They're walking that through, even at the time of, um, that, that this, our scripture records. Um, and the first words that, that Mark records after the baptism of Jesus, that after he was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. It, it's the gospel of God that Jesus is now going to unpack for us in verse 15. And we're going to spend pretty much all of our time just in verse 15 today. Let's pray, and then we'll look into the word of God. Father, thank you for coming, Jesus. Father, thank you for sending your only son. Thank you for the work that you accomplished. Had it not been for Christmas, none of us would be in this room today. None of us would be in this place today. None of us would know the joy, the freedom, the peace, the, the forgiveness, the satisfaction, the high call that we've each found in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we can do nothing but thank you and ask you now to take this time, take your word and impress it on our hearts and let this not just be a lesson, let this be a transforming moment as the word of God becomes flesh to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus comes preaching the gospel of God. What, what is the gospel of God? Now, that's a big question. And we could spend our whole time just talking about that word, gospel. Remember, it means good news. You know that, that the gospel means good news. And if someone's asked you, well, what's the good news? We would most likely focus on the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, perhaps even the ascension of Jesus um, in his time on earth. And that would not be wrong. The, we, we look at those Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels. And when we try to identify or, or define the Gospels, we tend to say, well, the Gospel is the Gospels. And we're not wrong in that. that. That's not incorrect. Certainly, the Gospels are the centerpiece of Scripture. 
But in a very real way, your entire Bible is the gospel. How many of you know the whole Bible is good news? Not, not just pieces and parts that we like. The whole Bible is good news. Everything prior to the Gospels pointed at them. And everything after the Gospels highlights what happened and, and unfolds and unpacks for us a little bit of what would happen. If we didn't have the whole Bible, the Gospels would still be wonderful, but we'd be, we'd be in the dark in a lot of areas. Where did they come from? Because they have no history. And, and what, what happened after them? How's that supposed to affect our lives? Okay, what are we supposed to do with that information? So in a very real way, the, the whole word of God is the gospel. Because the gospel in its simplest form is simply the, the, the story about Jesus. The Bible is his story. And that's the whole Bible. So we're going to unpack a little bit within the confides of Jesus' words in this verse 15 of what the gospel is we're going to stay within that parameter as as best i can because otherwise we could we could launch a season for all of next year and make a series on just the gospel um, and never exhaust it and, and never run out of material so we're going to stay within verse 15 and i hope i can cram that into the time that we have all right i have three points because this is december um i i have You'll see as I tell you the points as we go through that. I've tried to sort of like Christmas them up. So it more is a little more holiday-ish, if you'll, if you'll allow me that word. Um, so let's get into our, our lesson for today. Um, point number one is simply this. Tis the season. Tis the season. Verse 15 starts with, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Tis the season. Something's happening here. Jesus, tis the season. Time is fulfilled. Now, if Jesus were here, if he came to America and he made that statement, and we hear that statement, and even now we hear that statement with our American ears, our, our cultural way of understanding life, we would look at our watches. We, we would check the clock. We would look and see what time it is. When, he, when someone says something like, the time is fulfilled, now he wouldn't have that phrase actually doesn't even fit our vernacular, does it? You know, we, we would talk about it, it's time, you know, and we'd check out our clocks. We're, we're, we're consumed with time, whether we consciously recognize that or not, but we're consumed with time. We're, we're consumed with time management, being on time, being in time, um, wait, wasting time. We don't want to waste time. We, we don't want, we, there's never enough time, right? Just talk to each other. There's never enough time, or it's never the right time, but this is the wrong time. You know, our, our watches have alarms. Our calendars have reminders. Our, our electronic apps on our phones and, and tablets that have notifications so that it keeps reminding us about the time. We think that busyness time that's full and jam-packed, we think it's a virtue. We've invented this lie that called multitasking, and then we've chosen to believe the lie we've invented. We can't allow any moment of stillness because we don't know what to do with it. If we find ourselves in a position, and I've watched people do it. I've been in waiting rooms. Or I've just been around where, where it's really just sort of like unstructured time. People can't handle it. They can't just sit and be still. 
What, what do you do? How do you fill that? You grab your phone. Come on, you know you're guilty. You, you pull out your phone. And, and you, you know, you, you, there's a game you can play. There's email you can check. There's the calendar, you know, that you can, you can send text. You, can, you, you fill the time. If nothing else, you can go to YouTube and watch little animals do funny little things. I mean, you, but you fill the time. Now, that's how we hear it. When, when Jesus said the time is fulfilled, he was speaking to a Jewish ear. And the Jewish mind thinks of time differently. Their concept of time was different. They didn't think of time as progressive. They saw it as segmented. They understood it as, as a period of, of movement or a period of change. The Bible, and you know this, is foundational for our lesson. The, Bi the Bible uses two words. We have one word, time. The Bible uses two words to, when talking about time. We just translate it as time, but it means different things. Chronos is the one we're most familiar with. It means chronology or sequence of time, sequential time, seconds to minutes to hours to days to weeks, sequential time. But the word most often used in Scripture when it's referring to time is the word kairos, which is talking about a season or a period. Or this is interesting that one of the literal translations of kairos is opportunity, the opportunity presented by that moment that you're in. See, the Jewish mind didn't see time as dates and appointments. It saw time as happenings in life, specifically regarding God's movement, God's activity, things God is doing in the life of, of a man or mankind. Author Daniel Henderson says this, the difference between these two words, kairos and kairos, or kairos and chronos, is the difference between a minute and a moment. Do you get that? You sort of get in the feel of the difference. It's the difference between a minute and a moment. See, chronos is the way we, is, is the time we have. It's, it's quantitative. Kairos is the time we're in. It's, it's qualitative. Okay? I'll try and illustrate it in a really practical way. And it's a bit of a stereotype, so ladies, don't get mad at me. But when a man hears or when a husband hears, it's time to go. He picks up the keys, checks that he has his wallet, and he what? He leaves. He goes. Gets in the car. All right? Now, ladies, you can own it. And not every time, but you own it. When a lady hears it's time to go, what she hears is it's a season for leaving. Right? And I have sat, now my wife is a whole lot better at it than at other times in life, but I, there's been times where I'm sitting in the car wondering, what is going on? What possibly could you be finding to do? Is she vacuuming? Is... And I still haven't solved the mystery. And any men, if you have solved that mystery, you need to write a book. Because we, we're just stymied. It's time to go. Well, then let's leave. But maybe it's because women live a little easier. It's, Kairos is a little easier for them to understand and to, to live, live within than us. But the, these early Jews, when they heard Jesus' statement that time is fulfilled, they didn't hear Jesus announcing a calendar date. 
They heard him introducing the start of a new season, a new period in time, a new opportunity in time. They heard that God was doing something. He was intersecting Kronos time with Kairos, with a God moment in time. Now, you can be sitting there and saying, well, that's all interesting, but what does it matter? Why should that even make a difference? Well, simply because of this. Our view of time affects our view of God. How we see and process and approach and use this thing that God has given us called time does affect our view and our reception and our understanding of what God is or isn't doing at any given moment in time. See, if we just see life, if our view of life is just a timeline, it's just linear, you, you, you put a pin here and a pin here, you tie a string between the two points, and this is birth and this is death, however long that string is, if it's, it's years or decades or a hundred years, or, it, it, that's life. It, it's a timeline. That's chronos. If that's how we see life, that life is just a, a progressive checklist. It, 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 it's just a, a, a transition from start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, based on your date book, you know, and your appointments and your calendar, that, that that's how you view time. Then, and, and that life is that in part. Okay, so it's not wrong. But if that's how you see it, then that means that God now has to fit on that somewhere. we got to plug God in on that. And we do. So we have scheduled devotional time. We have scheduled church services. We have scheduled small groups. You, you put things on your timeline that, affect some, that are given towards your spiritual development or, or your growth as a, as a Christian man or woman. Now, the problem is this. That's not totally incorrect. It's, it, it's, it's, in essence, it's, still, it's a good thing, but it's not totally correct because of this. God doesn't live in time. God doesn't live in time. God's not a servant of time. God, listen, God created time. Time lives in him. All right, so he doesn't discard or over your, overlook your timeline. He, he, he understands it. He's the one who created those minutes and hours and days and weeks. He's the one who gave them to you. So he, he doesn't discard that. He just what? He just acts like God. He refuses to be limited by it. He refuses to restrict himself to that understanding of how time applies and how he should use time in our lifetime he just refuses and so instead just to mess with us he intersects our timeline he he comes and he interrupts our timeline at his at his pleasure he doesn't ask for permission he doesn't make an appointment he just interrupts see our timeline is the only connectivity on it is is the, the only really touch that I have in, in timeline is just the minute I just lost, the minute I'm in, and the one that's coming. That, that's about the range of, of timeline, of, of its connectivity in my life. God's not limited to that. And you've all had this experience in life where there's something way back here on the timeline that took place that was maybe it was really, really good, maybe it was really, really bad. Or maybe it wasn't really, really anything. It was just you were just living life and things were happening that you didn't understand. And, and now you're way, way up here and you're just doing the timeline. But suddenly 
an issue, a thing from way back here comes up and it's suddenly it's alive again. And it's, it's in your mind, it's in your heart. That may very well may be a Kairos moment where God is in. Remember a time where Jesus told his disciples, I've got more to tell you, but I can't now because you can't handle it. You know, I, I don't believe that God never told him what he wanted them to know. I think over here somewhere, he intersected and interrupted them and said, hey, guys, by the way, you know what I wanted to tell you then and couldn't? I'm going to tell you now because I can, because you're able. How many of you understand? There were things back then that if God would have told you about your life, it would have destroyed you. If God would have said, hey, we got to fix this in your life, you'd have rebelled. You'd have run the other way. It wasn't the right moment, but now we're up here. And you think that's past. You don't even know it existed. You don't even know that it had a, a great effect on your life, but here you are, and suddenly, boom, there's God bringing a moment. Not a minute, but bringing a moment into your life. He's saying, okay, now's the right time. This is a new opportunity, and we're going to deal with this now because it's for your good, and it's for my glory, and it's going to get you moving in a way that I want you to go see God weaves around our timeline. God weaves his activity and his behavior and the things that he wants to do in our lives. He'll cycle back things. Anybody ever deal with an issue, but you didn't really deal with it? You ever notice how it gets better and then suddenly it shows up again? And it gets better and it shows up again. And he, I promise you, he's going to keep cycling that thing back until you let him deal with it in you. And with you, so you get the point. See, Kairos leaves our lives open to him. A Kairos mentality means that not only we're living on the timeline, but we're also very aware, very open, and even desirous of those moments, those special moments. Not minutes, but moments where God reveals himself in some meaningful way. That's, that's why it matters. That's why the Bible talks about Kairos moments a whole lot more than it talks about chronos moments the bible talks about appointed times due seasons the fullness of time opportune times that's not those aren't calendar dates these are seasons periods of time and and that season could be a few minutes it could be decades long hundreds of years long that god is dealing with something in that new period. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he said, redeem the kairos. If you translate that word, redeem the time, redeem the kairos, recognize the season of God's activity in your life. Embrace it. Seize the God opportunities that it brings to you. Those opportunities may not always be enjoyable. They may not always be delightful. They may stretch you. They may be something that, that God's calling you towards that really you're a little anxious about or, or not certain you can do, but Redeem the time, Paul says. Recognize those moments. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having a schedule. In fact, I recommend it. But keep your eyes and ears open. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes paying attention. So that at any moment, God can tap you on the shoulder. It's great to have scheduled on your calendar. I'm getting, I get up in the morning, the first thing I do, and have this devotional time with the Lord. That is a wonderful thing, and you ought to do that. But if that's all you think of, as far as there, I'm done with God today, then when it's in the middle of the afternoon, is he allowed to just interrupt you while you're driving your car and you'll recognize it? Is he allowed to just speak something in your ear and you recognize this is God? What was on my cal it was on my calendar. In fact, I've got appointments. 
See, that, that's, what, that's why this is important to us. God is speaking to these people, and he's saying the time is fulfilled. There's a new season. Something brand new just started. It's just being launched. They would have understood what he was saying. Point number two, Gabriel was, was right. Gabriel was right. You know, who know who Gabriel is? Remember the angel that spoke to Mary? Jesus said, the kingdom of God's at hand. When, when Gabriel approached Mary, Luke 1, 32, 33, when Gabriel spoke to Mary, part of the conversation was simply this. He will be great. He, Jesus, will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Gabriel was right. Jesus, in this Kairos moment, was introducing a kingdom that has come to the earth. Gabriel said, Mary, God has a kingdom, and Jesus is the declared king of that kingdom. Now, the problem Jesus had while he was on earth was simply this. The kingdom he brought, the kingdom he introduced, the kingdom that, that he was saying, the kingdom of God is, has come, it's near, it's at hand, isn't the kingdom the people wanted. It wasn't the kingdom they were expecting or looking for. They wanted a, a, a Messiah to come who was a political strategist or, or a military genius or, or a social activist. They, they, they weren't looking for and didn't even really desire the Prince of Peace. They weren't looking for a sacrificial lamb. They were looking for something different. And in all honesty, that attitude hasn't always changed in us all these years later just because maybe we know a little more than they knew. We still have a tendency, if we want to be really honest, that we want God, but we want him on our terms. We want his kingdom to come, but we want it to come on our terms, on our schedule, with our preferences. Have you ever noticed, if you want to, I've noticed in my own life that Many times my prayers are requests with instructions. Now, you've never done that with the Lord probably, but, but I have to confess I have. My, my professions of faith sometimes come with conditions. God, if you'll just do this, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And then if you, by the way, if you will, I'll. See, we, we, we have strings attached to them. The, the people of, we're, we're looking for a kingdom. But they were looking for the kingdom of man. They were looking for, for someone to rescue them from Roman governance. They were looking for a kingdom, but a kingdom that, that was comfortable for them, that they could manage, that they could control. Jesus was talking about a whole different kind of kingdom. Jesus was instituting with his announcement, with his pronouncement that the kingdom of God has come. And that's a whole different thing. So let's talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, again, it's one of those huge topics, J just like the gospel. We'll, we'll never exhaust the topic, so this is going to be a flyby, just so we have concrete in our thinking, this kingdom that Jesus is introducing, this new season, that this new opportunity that, that has presented itself. The kingdom of God has come. What was the kingdom? Number one, the kingdom of God has always been. Three characteristics of the kingdom. First one is, it's always been. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's very important that you not think about his realm. 
Uh, that's simply because when we think kingdom, we, we think territory. We think borders. We think parameters. We, we think an area. We think space. We think geography. We think place. We, and we can't think of realm when we talk about the kingdom of God. We, we can't think of realm. We, we think everything there is, you know, is his kingdom. The whole universe is his kingdom. And that's not false. The question is this, though. What about something that might be beyond the universe? We just don't know it. Is that his kingdom? Is there a line at some point where his kingdom isn't? See, because we can't think of realm. In its essence, at its core, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about his reign. R-E-I-G-N. His reign. We're talking about his rule. We're talking about the authority and sovereignty of his, of his throne. That whatever there is, wherever there is, he reigns there. And he reigns over it. He reigns because his kingdom is an everlasting, never beginning, always will be. His reign, his rulership has no, no beginning and, and no ending. Now there's and I don't want to go too far on a tangent, but I have to say it. There's one place where his reign isn't in a very real way. And I have to say this sort of tongue-in-cheek. And that one place is the human heart. Because he did this miraculous thing. He gave us a will. And he chose to self-limit himself. He chose to say, you can choose. And so he can, his reign is everywhere except your heart. We have to let him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would let me in. That's a big thing. That's a serious reality that we need to think about. His reign. See, we don't, we don't like that word. We don't like to think of things that reign over us. We want control. Just admit it. The older I get, the more I have to own the fact that I think I'm a control freak. I really like control. And every time I grab it, I get in trouble. You think I'd learn the lesson. But we don't like things that reign over us. See, our, we have this, this, this adage or phrase that you've heard it, you've probably said it, that that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely so we resist that kind of scenario except unless we have to consider one thing what happens if the one who has that absolute power is also absolutely loving if he's absolutely benevolent in the way he reigns the reason motivation in which he reigns what if you could live under a reign that is absolute, absolutely good, absolutely kind and merciful and gracious? What if you could live under somebody who's, who's absolutely faithful and patient and truthful and just and generous? That's a different scenario. We have a hard time grasping that, but that's his kingdom and his reign, the kingdom of God, the reign of God is the safest place on earth to be under the reign of God. Number two is the kingdom of God is here and now. Okay? It, it, it's everywhere all the time. It's always been. The kingdom of God is also here now. 
That's what this Kairos moment is that Jesus was announcing. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. This is a new season. I'm ushering in something that never was here before, that you weren't aware of before. The kingdom of God is, is here now. And in all honesty, the moment that Jesus, that season, that period of time that Jesus announced, we're living it now. His statement, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's true to you. As true now and relevant now as it was the day he uttered it and Mark recorded it. The kingdom of God is here and now. We are living that time. We are living between his incarnation and his second coming. We're living in between that, in that time of between his birth where, where very few people were aware and noticed and that moment that has yet to come where the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. We are in that time right now. The Bible calls that Kairos moment that Cairo season, the last days, and we are in them now. It's not a physical kingdom. Not yet, anyway. It's not a physical kingdom. When, when Jesus um, was talking to Pilate and Pilate was questioning him, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not a physical kingdom. Not yet. In Luke 17, 20, we read, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered him. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. You can't see it. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God is what? In the midst of you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is in you. That tells us that the this is a picture. That, that scenario, that interchange is, is a, the, king introduced, the king of the kingdom introducing himself. Jesus, Jesus was taking ownership of the kingdom of God. The king of God is here. He's in the midst of you. It's me. He was introducing himself as the king of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God, he was also saying, is present now. It's not this ethereal thing, but it's present now. And even more so, it gets more specific that the kingdom of God is resident in those who believe him. Those who believe in him, the kingdom of God is resident in them. Where's the kingdom of God? It's not physical. Well, then where is it if it's come and it's now? It's in you. As a Christian, if you've confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're committed to walk and serve and have a growing relationship with him, where's the kingdom of God? It's in you. It's in you. Now that puts a tremendous responsibility on us and a tremendous privilege on us. Because if it's in me and he wants his kingdom known in the earth, and he wants everyone to know about his kingdom. How are they going to get to know if it's not something that is physical? If it's not something they can, that's tangible, that's touchable? How, how, how are they going to know? How are, we, how are they supposed to see an invisible kingdom? That's our role. That's the role of the believer. That's your responsibility in mind. That we're supposed to take this invisible kingdom that is in us and make it visible by the way that we live. By the way that we talk, the way we respond and react in life, the way we treat one another, the words that we choose to use. We're supposed to live in a culture but not be part of the culture because we're of a different culture. We're of the kingdom of God culture. We're citizens, the Bible says, of a different land. In this land, we are pilgrims and foreigners and strangers in this world. And we're to make the invisible kingdom that's alive in us visible to those around us, to the culture. And the kingdom culture, I think you know this, is totally different than the culture of this world. And we're to make that known. The kingdom culture is a culture of power and love and a sound mind. 
It's a culture of truth and mercy and grace. It's a redemptive kingdom, a redemptive culture. It's a culture of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Anyone look around or watch the news, do you think that maybe this culture needs to see that culture? How are they going to see it? The only way is observing your life. The only way is if his people live within and reflect that culture. There's a kingdom among us. It's here. It's now. It's, it's in us. And our, our job now is to tap into that kingdom in a very real way each and every day. How do, how do we do that? Jesus said in the book of Matthew, Matthew records these words, well known. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Now as we read that, here, here again, here's a great illustration. When we read that, we read it with American ears. And we read it saying, well, it's, it's do this, get that. Time. We see it on the, we, we put it on the, on the string. We, we plug it in. We, do this, you get that. And you need, if you need more of that, do more of this. Okay? Very rational way to live. Very logical, systematic programmatic way to live and, and but if we read what Jesus really intended if we read it as it sounded when he said it to his listeners see we have to consider we have to ask ourselves a whole bunch of other questions of how we normally think what if this what Jesus was saying what if it's not a formula but a framework what if it isn't sequential but it's simultaneous what if it isn't about working a process, but maintaining a priority in life? What if it's a promise that's not linear, but circular? What if God's care and provision for us isn't after we seek him, but it's as we seek him? It makes a difference. It, it really does make a difference. Listen, you, you it, the parent-child relationship doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in a linear fashion. It doesn't work, seek me, then you'll get, and if you want more, seek me more. It doesn't work that way. I, I don't know about you, my kids, and now my grandkids, they just follow me around. They're always seeking me. And in the seeking, they got stuff they want, they got stuff they need, but they're just always seeking. And in their seeking, guess what? Periodically, they find stuff. They get stuff. And what, so what happens? They, well, they take it. They appreciate it. They keep on seeking. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not a do this, get that. It's not a it, he, Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. It, it, it's not do this and after you get that. It's as. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not a rational thought. It's a relational thing. It's a relationship thing that we have with God. See, and when we understand that, Matthew 6.33 suddenly becomes a relational verse, not an operational verse. It, it becomes a way to know and experience the kingdom of God in a, in a deeper way, in a fuller way, in a, in a, in a, in a relational way. See, because now with that way of thinking, it's not about getting something. It's about knowing someone. It makes a world of difference. And in our lives, our prayer life becomes conver a conversation, not a negotiation. Our worship becomes adoration, not appeasement. Obedience becomes delightful, not dutiful. 
Our services becomes an overflow, not an obligation. I understand I'm overdosing here on alliteration, but I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to, to emphasize and highlight that this thing that we have with the Lord, you can't always plug it on in your daytime or on your timeline, that it goes beyond that. It's relational. It's about practice, not process. That's how we know him. It's building a relationship with the king of the kingdom, not just following the rules of the kingdom so you can get stuff. Did I make a point? I'm exhausted. Number three, the kingdom of God is yet to come. We know this. I won't take a lot of time on this point. But the kingdom of God is, he, is here, and, and now it's yet to come. This world kingdom, and, and we don't hear a lot of talk about this in the church much anymore. Maybe we need to rewind and, and, and hit on it a little. But the, this world has an expiration date. It, it, it's on a, it is on a clock. And there is a chronos moment in history that only God knows, but it's a real moment where things are going to change. It's a fixed moment in time. It's a moment at which Jesus' feet are going to touch the earth again. As he comes, as he, and when he comes, he, he changes everything. That'll be another Kairos moment, by the way. Another whole season. This season will end and a new season will begin as he brings with him a new heaven and a new earth. He brings his kingdom and sets up a physical kingdom in the earth. A kingdom where there's no sadness, no sorrow, no tears, no suffering, no pain, no death, no separation, no nothing negative. Everything sin introduced is gone. Hard to imagine such a world, but I just know this. I want to do everything I can to be a part of it. Listen, the kingdom of God has always been here now. It has yet to come. You know what that means? The kingdom of God's got you covered. Your past, your present, your future is all covered by the kingdom of God. And the Bible says it's a kingdom that can't be shaken. Every other kingdom can be shaken and in a very real way is being shaken in our lifetime. If you look, at around, look around, all of our institutions, things we've counted on, things we never thought could happen are, are being shaken right now. And we're not doing very well in the shaking, but God's kingdom stays the same. Can't be defeated because he is invincible. My last point. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. Verse 15, the last part. Repent and believe the gospel. God wants you, during this season of time, to be in his kingdom, to be part of his kingdom. Let earth receive her king. Jesus came for one reason. He came to give us access back to the Father and to the kingdom. He came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves so we could again know the Father and we could be citizens in his kingdom, sons and daughters of his family. The admission isn't hard. But it is humbling. Repent and believe the gospel. Comes to us as two words, but they're inseparable. Don't make those step one, step two. Don't make them do this first, this second. You have to see it as a whole. Repentance and faith isn't about 
actions. It's about the attitude of our heart first and foremost. They're, they're conditions for admission into God's kingdom, and there's no other way. It's, it's a lie when culture says all roads lead to God. No, they don't. They don't. All roads lead you astray except one. Jesus said, except through him. He's the door. And how do we enter that door? Through repentance and faith. Repentance, turning away from everything that keeps us out of the kingdom. Turning towards believing in everything the gospel says. Everything that's true about Jesus. As we move towards closing, because my time is up. Surprise. Let's not miss this opportunity in time. This, this is a Kronos moment. Maybe you're watching your clock. I hope not, but maybe you are. But it's also a Kairos moment. Because this is a moment where you can invite God to speak to you. And he wants to. See, everybody who, who's listening, whether you're here or online, if you're sitting down in a car, and I know we have a few, th this is a, can be a Kairos moment. Everyone here fits one of three conditions in, in as far as their standing with God. The one I hope is that you're an, you're an active believer. You have a daily, active, growing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. Or you could be you could be one of those folks, and we've probably all been there at one time or another, where you have a relationship with the Lord, but if you were to honest, your relationship and closeness to him right now is more distant than it has been at other times. There's been distraction. There's been rebellion. There's been disobedience. There's, there's, just, there's just been life that's piled up. And, and you, but to be honest, not with me, but with the Lord and with yourself, that I have to say, there, were a time, there was a time in my life where I was much closer to him. Our relationship was in better shape than it is today. Or thirdly, you may be hearing this and, and you've never responded to his invitation to be a part of his kingdom. You've never responded to his invitation to, to repent and believe, to receive his forgiveness and his bringing you into his family. Whatever your state is, whatever you, wherever you fall on that, in which column you would put a check mark next to your name, this is a Kairos moment to let God minister to you, to let God touch you, to let God and His Spirit reveal something to you. If you're a Christian today in good standing, then this is a moment to just praise Him. This is a moment to just be thankful and grateful because you recognize how unworthy you are. You recognize that there's not a thing you did for the blessing he's given. And just respond in gratitude. Or this may be a moment for you to intercede for that family member, that loved one, that friend that doesn't know Jesus. This may be a time out of, out of your overwhelming gratitude to pull in and, and reach out towards someone else, asking God to intervene and move in their life so they too can have opportunity to know who he is. If you're one of the other two where you just, there's a distance between you and God, maybe it's just by your wanderings or you've never asked him to, to forgive you of your sins. This is, this is a moment. 
Listen, God, God knows you and he loves you right where you are, right as you are. And he wants you to know and love him in a real way, in a full way. But you have to make the choice. The kingdom of God, unlike other kingdoms, doesn't force itself on you. The kingdom of God offers invitation and waits. This is a moment. Simple prayer of your heart, God hears. A sincere cry of your heart, reaching out to him, God hears and responds. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, if you just say, God, forgive me my sins, I need you. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus, I believe who you are and what you did for me. It says you'll be saved. In this simple moment, let's bow our heads. First words of Jesus recorded by Mark. In, in my translation, it's only 18 words. But those 18 words have the power to, to change a life, a family, a community, a world, if we'll hear them and receive them. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that has life and sheds light. It shines light on darkness, and darkness always loses. So, Father, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for coming we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your invitation and access to that kingdom. And Lord, now I pray, I, I thank you and I bless every son and daughter who is serving you and walking with you. None of us do it perfectly, but the intent and movement of their lives is always towards you, intended to go towards you. God, I pray you bless them and that you continue to surprise them with revelations of yourself. God, for those who are distanced from you today, even right now, let, let the warmth of your love. Lord, when, when you uttered those words, repent and believe, they weren't as a condemnation. They were an invitation. Let the warmth of that invitation, your heart and your desire behind those words was a longing for every soul. God, let them see that and respond today and devote and commit their lives to you and believe in their heart that you gladly receive them Today, they can mark this on their calendar. This is the day that my life and my walk with Jesus changed. Father, I thank you. And I pray as we move through this season, this time of human history and destiny, not just the Christmas season, but Lord, this opportunity of time that you've allowed us to live in. God, may we live it for your glory. And may we live it for the benefit and reaching out to others so they too can know and hear of the good news of Christmas. Let your blessing rest on your people. I pray you dismiss us with your peace and your joy that you keep your people safe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you're here today. I would say take time to greet one another, and you can do that, but do it by faith at a distance. <laughs> See you next week.